Welcome to the palette. Today, our very first guest on the show, Joseph, is a first-year commerce student at Queen's University's Smith School of Business. He is an incredibly bright and multifaceted guy and someone who I've personally had the pleasure of having personal conversations with on the side. And that is the very reason why I decided to bring him on the show as our very first guest. So, Joseph, thank you for coming on the show. It's great to have you. What have you been up to this past summer? I'm going to be honest, like this summer, I wanted to take it more lax. I know a lot of people grinded like case competitions or they had like summer internships. So like they're, they made sure like they were working or like had an income this summer. Also, I knew a few kids that were like grinding like finance technicals and like deliverables for like these like Queen's Commerce Clubs. And like, I think in May and in June, I had the correct like positioning to do that. Like any of like whether like I want to like pursue internships or like case competitions or even like courses in the summer. But I just really wanted to actively make the decision to not do that. So then I I was done high school in like late March, early April. I finished half a semester early because I fast tracked in grade 11 and 12. I was working at my parents' office uh, pretty much like from that time until the end of June. And my parents, they have their own like uh, small family business. But just like throughout July and August, I was more or less like going out a lot, like seeing my friends, high school friends, also meeting like Queens Commerce kids, like up years, but also just like my peers that I was going to see in fall and that I'm seeing like right now, which has been really exciting. Yeah, it's pretty much it. Like a lot of going out. I traveled to New York for like a week, saw a lot of cool things there. It was like finally felt like a tourist for like the first time in two years. Uh, how was New York? Uh, was it your first time? Have you been before? Yeah. So actually, like my. Dad used to do business in like New York or New Jersey. So I went a lot as a kid, just like road trips, family trips. We'd spend like half a week there, maybe like me and my sister and my mom would travel. And then my dad would just like do work in New Jersey. So I've been a lot of times, but that was the first time I've been in high school, I think. And frankly, like I don't remember many of the trips like before high school. They just like weren't particularly memorable. And I think it's uh, pretty relatable. For some of us, our parents, you know, they took us places around the world. And, you know, they always tell us, oh, yeah, we went here, we went there. But then you always tell them, mom, dad, uh, I don't remember any of that. And then they give you this look. Maybe part of it is when we enter high school, we get through these personal changes. We start to discover who we are. And then it adds this, you know, additional context to these trips that I think you know, makes it makes it more memorable. This past year, for a lot of students in your year, it was incredibly stressful. You had COVID on the one hand, you had university applications on the other, and you also had to deal with grades. How did you manage all of that stress? I, oh my goodness. Yeah, I guess like in terms of like managing my mental health, it was, it was definitely weird because I want to say like the quarantine in a sense, was a blessing and a curse at the same time. It was a curse because, like, we couldn't leave the house. A lot of, like, processes changed, like, applying to universities. I mean, that was, like, for the most part, like, the same. But, like, we couldn't, like, visit campuses. We couldn't, like, still, like, I want to say, like, understand that we're actually applying to universities, like, going to the fairs, talking to advisors. Everything was just a little bit more difficult. So that's, like, how it was a curse for my year. But it was also a blessing in the sense that 
I think personally, I could take a lot more on in terms of commitments. And I'm pretty sure like you would relate to this as well, or like kids in your year as well, or like anyone really, in terms of clubs, but clubs, like extracurricular organizations, maybe even hobbies. And we were talking about earlier, like fitness, like the fact that um, school is online and like maybe even asynchronous, like you could do it whenever. Um, we just have so much more time and freedom. We don't have to worry about travel time. And then we're able to do so many more things, right? And then for me, going into grade 12, that looked like a bunch of extracurricular commitments that I didn't have before. So that was honestly really difficult. Like, I want to say the first three months of grade 12, I was managing my core grade 12 classes because since I graduated early, I had everything in my first semester. I only had one course in my second semester. So I was managing those four courses. I was also managing like the two extracurriculars I had before, plus like four more that I took on for like low key. I did not need to take them on, but I think they're like still worthwhile experiences. Um, and then right, like applying to universities. So I guess like really briefly for context, the timeline of my university applications, I was looking at US, UK and Canadian schools at one point. I didn't end up applying to UK schools. I ended up applying to one uh, US school and that was NYU Stern. I applied for early decision one and the deadline for that was the end of October. So from like August to October, I spent like so much time writing these two supplemental essays. It was actually unreal. Like I I think I like was like neglecting my health at one point, just, just like for these two essays. So I was so focused. And I just wanted to get in so much. And it was the only school I was applying to, right? And I was applying early. So it's like, if I got into the school, then I would have had to go. It's like a binding agreement. So I was taking it very seriously. And even um, I had scheduled to take like the SAT a few times, but it kept getting canceled. But that's how far I was willing to like prepare and like execute, just like up my chances on NYU Stern. That period was like really stressful. Um, I want to say some activities that I did to de-stress was like skateboarding. I had like two friends that were not at my school that I just like relentlessly ranted to. Cause I feel like sometimes like you can talk to people but you can't talk to them about everything or you just feel like you're burdening them to some extent. So you need those friends that you don't talk to that often per se but that you can like relentlessly like just tell them everything, like even the small details, right? Cause I feel like once you get that off your chest you don't have to worry about it either is how I see it. I also used like project management apps for the first time. So I know a lot of people use Notion I did not use Notion, but I used Trello and just like iCalendar to like, like a synced iCalendar for like Google Calendar to like stay on top of all my commitments. That was the first time I did that, but it was like really useful. I don't think I would have been able to like get through that period if I didn't do that. I think something I also did that was pretty important that I want to talk about that I feel like people don't talk about is like knowing when to take a break and like confidently taking the steps to do that. So then during like the last two weeks of October when I was like finalizing my NYU Stern app, I realized that like I just wasn't like prioritizing school and like my sleep and I just like couldn't get work done at a certain point. So, and I was like, okay, well, I just finally, like, if I'm working so hard, but like my, the, like my productivity is like not good or not where I want it to be. And I'm like not able to like fully give myself to like these nonprofits, or, like other extracurricular commitments I have, that's not fair. So I actually like reached out to my supervisors for them and I was like, Oh, I think I need the next two weeks off just so I can like get myself together, like get organized again and then come back stronger. And they're really understanding. I took the two weeks off. I finished my NYU Stern application. 
and I came back a lot stronger and I actually like knew what I wanted out of these commitments when I came back if that made sense and I think I was like more of a team player and I was able to like take more initiative and like actually create more impact than I would have before if I didn't take that break you know when I hear your story I feel extremely reminiscent of burnout I, I think that's the word that's the buzzword that we always use to <laughs> describe that it's yeah, it's it's unfortunately burnout, but I, I think you know what you did was incredibly self-conscious in a healthy way. You know, you identified that where I am right now is not the best, and if I continue to go on this negative uh, spree of you know overworking myself to the bone, the results are going to show, and so I I. I find it very commendable that you reached out to your supervisors and asked for those extra two weeks. I also just want to give props to those supervisors because not all the people above us are willing to be reasonable and rational. But I think one part of that equation that wasn't present before was that we were and still are in a global pandemic. And, you know, that only exacerbates uh, a lot of issues that, you know, traditionally grade 12 students have had to go through. And, you know, you don't have, a lot of times, you don't have someone to really talk to in, in person, you know, face to face, especially right now. It's you, your room, and your screen. And I think that's enough to drive someone crazy. And what I've heard from People, you know, who have been working at places over the summer, they've said that those with uh, managers and bosses that are reasonable and able to give options if someone's feeling overwhelmed, uh, you know, people feel more grateful for the work that they have and they're willing to, you know, invest more of their time and effort into the organization once they're back in an ideal spot. I think strategically as well, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting proposition to make. Uh, speaking of scheduling though going back in terms of how we can encourage scheduling our days in ways that isn't going to completely throw us off and derail us is have you ever heard of time boxing it's not like just like blocking out time yeah what, what what's your thoughts on that because some people love it and some people think it's incredibly tedious and unrealistic for me to plan out every single chunk of time in my week I think it's uh it's actually interesting because I don't think I like time block per se, but I do like departmentalize. So I'll have like a priority of things I need to do and then work through that. And if something takes longer than expected, it takes longer than expected. Um, I have heard of one theory. I'm blanking on the name right now, but like pretty much it states that if you allot a certain amount of time to do a task, you're going to take up all the time for that task that you allotted. So if you could have finished it in 30 minutes, but you allotted one hour, you're going to take, you're going to finish like the bulk of it in 30 minutes or 45 minutes. And then the like last 15 minutes, will do like 10% of it. So if you allot like less time to do things then you'll finish it quicker. And I have heard that. So I think that's like something to think about. I would say it's like true as well. I think time blocking could be good to like keep track of what you need to do and like how much time you're spending. So I also know people that like, even if they don't like work a nine to five, they just treat their lifestyle like a nine to five. That makes sense. Like they're making sure that they're done everything they need to do professionally before like 5 p.m. 
And I don't think they'd be able to do that or even like attempt to live by that lifestyle if they didn't enforce that principle for themselves. And I think if you can do that, like you have the self-discipline and the drive to do that and you can actually execute, I think it's awesome. It's a skill. It's a hard skill to master. And I think those of us who are able to, you know, master that over the pandemic are really going to come out of the gate swinging. Really kudos to them. For a lot of us, though, we still have a little bit of catching up to do, but, you know, it's fine. Everyone can approach the challenge of time management with their own time. I'm, I, pardon the, the reuse of words, but <laughs> <laughs> it, everyone has, I, it's my belief that I think everyone has their own timeline. And if there are issues that you have with time management, procrastination, eventually you're going to be able to face those problems and get them done. That's my personal belief. It's just a matter of when. And number, there's a number of factors that can go into that, right? Who you surround yourself with, who are your inspirations, who do you look up to? And I think that is truly a valuable thing that we should all take into account. Surround yourself with people that you know will, will, will better you and really make you more than who you are today. I mean, I, I can name a few people already off the top of my head that have had that sort of impact on me. What about you? Have you, if you, if you think back or like look maybe in the last two or three years, has someone had an impact on you where you could say this tangibly had an effect on my life? And what, what, what impact was that to you? Right. So I think the biggest one right now, like I'll tell everyone this, like they're like, oh, who do you look up to? Who inspires you? So I think uh, at this point we might get a little cringy, but I always say the same thing, like my sister. Um, I don't know if she inspires me as much per se now, but there's a certain time in high school where I really looked up to her. I still really look up to her. She's <laughs> She does a lot. She's really amazing, but... I remember specifically thinking in grade 10 when she was in grade 12 because she's two years older. Like, oh, um, like my sister doesn't know what she's going to do yet. Like she's stressing about like whatever university, university applications, university decisions. But I have no stress for her or about her because I know that she's going to be fine wherever she goes and whatever she does. And I think when you have that realization about someone, that's really powerful. And I think like, after that, I just wanted to get to a point where, like, my parents, for example, would be able to think that about me, where, like, I would be able to, like, live my life, I guess, like, be proud of who I was and, like, the discipline that I had and the way that I carried myself, like, around to others. And then, I guess, like, being able to know that, like, people are not, like, worried about me and, like, whatever I do. And, like, I, I guess I could talk a little bit more about my sister and, like, why she's so inspirational, <laughs> but... I guess, like, my sister has always been a trendsetter. She was the youngest designer uh, on UFT X Fashion Week. She went to uh, Earl Haig. It's, like, an art school. And the art program was Claude Watson. She went for dance, but she was very into fashion. Youngest designer. She also started her own, like, six-figure business on Etsy in high school. That was pretty crazy. <laughs> like, she wrote about that in her, like, subs. Yeah, big, big shoes to live up to. <laughs> But, and then now she's at Parsons New School of Design for 
originally fashion design, but then she took a gap year and decided that product design was more her thing. So she's doing that while managing another business that she started in the quarantine, which is like a female boxing brand, KO Studios. I guess like she just kept doing crazy things that it stopped surprising me at one point. But before she did all those crazy things, I still knew that like she was going to be okay. Like I knew that she had the ambition, she had the drive, she had the motivation, and she also had the skill set to like bring that all to life, if that makes sense. Like I never thought she was like, like I was always academically smart sibling. That's not saying that she was like academically not smart. <laughs> like she was still like a, a good student, very studious, but my parents were always less worried about me and like more worried about her in terms of like professional career wise. But then after a certain point, I was like, y'all got it mixed up. <laughs> Cause like, I'm going to be like working for my sister one day. I don't know. Like she just, I think she's done a lot and I can recognize that she's going to do really cool things when she grows up. And even if I'm not a part of that, I'm really happy, like looking up to her and having her as my idol and like supporting her along the way. And you know, we were talking about you know, sorting ourselves out and, you know, figuring out stuff like time management getting that ambitious drive. And, you know, in this, earlier that conversation was really like sort of self-centered, right? It's, it's about fixing me and it's about uh, getting myself on track. But what your story about your sister makes me think is when we sort ourselves out and when others can see that in us, I think it encourages them to get on track and, you know, get these, I don't want to say weaknesses, but perhaps overcome these personal obstacles we all have in our, you know, professional and personal lives. Joseph, you are now on residence. And, you know, I didn't get that experience, unfortunately. I stayed home for my freshman year. But you're also at Queen's University and you're studying commerce. What made you pick this program over other business schools in Canada? Great question, Noah. Great question. <laughs> okay. So, I guess, like, really quick, do you want me to go over those schools that I applied to? You know what? Yeah, I think that'd be great for giving a little bit of context. Okay, so, I guess, like, for me, it was not, like, strictly a business background, but it was business with, like, a touch of CS. So, um, in Canada, I applied to Queen's Commerce, Western CS with IVAO status, Rotman, the Sottles, McGill, uh, Laurier, just BBA, and then Waterloo, CSM BBA, and then Waterloo, CFM. So it's like, I guess like CS with, with like a touch of finance, which is really niche actually. And then in Canada, my top choice was Queen's Commerce. And I'm just saying that because like, obviously I applied for NYU's third and that was like, I would say my proper top choice, but I heard back from them in like December. So I kind of like knew. <laughs> like wh where I wanted to go after that in terms of like Canadian schools. Um, I guess for Queens, there's a lot of reasons. Like my sister was, um, like she ended up going to a school in New York, right? For fashion design, for design. But before that, she was a business student as well. And in grade 12, she applied to Western BMOS plus AEO status. And she really gassed up Western to my parents. Like my parents like, oh, we love Western, like, and then in, like, the WeChat groups, it was like, oh, yeah, we, like, all love Western Ivy, like, what a good business school, and then I think my parents really wanted me to go there, to be honest, that, like, turned me off a little bit, also, um, I went to Q-Lead in grade 11, and I was able to see 
Queens in person and I was actually in goods for like four to five days. I don't there were like a lot of activities we did, but like we did a case comp there. There were like leadership activities. So like funny enough, I think I've been in goods more than some of the second years right now. So just just this just to step in real quick, mm-hmm. for those of uh, for those listeners maybe who don't know what QLead is, what was QLead? And, you know, you, you said you did a case comp. Uh, what, what did you take away from that? Yeah, good question. So, yeah, so QLead is, stands for Queen's Leadership Excellence and Development Conference, but I'm pretty sure it just means, like, Queen's, like, Development Conference for high school kids. It's a club of Queens that organizes a four to five day conference, business and leadership conference for, I believe, just juniors and seniors in high school in Canada. Um, you have to apply for it every year. It's like semi-competitive, but it's not like crazy. Um, I think it's more to give you like a glimpse at what Queens Commerce has to offer because it is like business oriented. And I guess like a look into goods and like you have to work with um, current Queen students as well, right? Like they're the ones organizing the competitions and the conferences and you get to like talk to them along, I guess like throughout the whole process, which is really exciting for me. The case comp, that was actually my first case competition I ever did in grade. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And it was, uh, I believe it was three hours. So I, I guess you'd call that short. That's like on the shorter side. Um, I did not know what I was doing at all. It was actually really funny, but like no one else in my group did either. So I guess it was like, it was definitely a learning experience. We didn't place like nothing, nothing like super exciting. Like I, we got to like watch all the presentations afterwards and I was like, wow, these kids are so good. And then there was just me, like someone in grade 11, like knew nothing about business at that time. Wasn't like particularly involved either. First case competition. I think that's like actually what got me. It's like business properly though. Like, lead as a conference and like that as like my first case competition experience and like working alongside people like I found that to be like a really rewarding experience. Would you say that having that prior involvement with the Queen's Commerce program just through QLead maybe put the program a bit above the other choices that you had at the time? Yeah 100% that was that was like where I was trying to go earlier like I'd say after I did QLead in grade 11 like, when I, I guess, like, this might sound, like, cliche or even, like, exaggerated, but because of when QLE took place and how it was positioned for me at that time, like, I feel like I was very malleable in the beginning of grade 11. QLE was, like, a life-changing experience, like, not even capping. Like, I'll say that 100%, and I even wrote about that in, like, my, my QLE application this year in grade 12. It was what got me involved in business and like in leadership extracurriculars period. It's also what got me to like fall in love with Queens Commerce and just like Kingston. Cause like, I think it was like fall, but like kind of like late fall. So it was like still really cold, but I guess it's still nice to like see the campus. It was the first time I like saw a proper university campus that wasn't like UFT. And that was like awesome to me. Oh, also like it was a change of environment. So I went to a very academic, academically oriented high school um very stem oriented and it was predominantly asian like southeast asian and southwest like i don't know and then i come to queens and everyone's it just like didn't look like my high school and like i guess to some people that would be scary or like anxiety 
just like would give you anxiety. I think uh, to like some extent it did, but it also was like really exciting if that made sense. Like I knew I would be somewhat challenged like socially, but also like not academically at Queens. And that was like a huge pro for me. When I, when I think about it and when I hear experiences like yours with QLead, I think it's incredibly important for schools to do a lot more than simply the, the standard uh, university rep comes to your school and maybe uh, talks about the, you know, the programs, what they have to offer. I've always leaned more towards more involved action. Like, like you said, QLead was what got your foot into the door of business. You start when you went into QLead in grade 11, you had <laughs> no clue about business, but you got to see what it was like. And I think from a marketing perspective, at the end of the day, schools are trying to market their programs, what they have to offer, the campus life, the culture, to, to prospective students who are trying to you know, find where they're going to study for the next four to five years. And I think it's really interesting and, you know, maybe something that we can look at more as, the, you know, the years progress. How are these schools reaching out to students? How are they trying to get them involved? How are they trying to get them invested in the program before they're even applying to programs? And I think the schools that really nail that are the ones that are going to be getting you know, the best applicants. You and I both have little hobbies of art. What, what do you like to do in your spare time? And do you think it's provided some sort of value to you, whether it be personal, professional, or, you know, just life in general? I think, honestly, like, this, my answer for this question would change from, like, year to year, and, like, especially recently because of, like, COVID-19 and the quarantine. I guess, like, because I couldn't leave the house for a while and, like, pursue maybe, like, if I, like, played sports with other people before, like, I couldn't do that. Or if I, like, went downtown to, like, take downtown Toronto to, like, take photos, I also couldn't really do that anymore. So it was limited. But I think, like, some hobbies I picked up was, one, skateboarding. So skateboarding, there's, like, a skate park somewhat close to my house, and I would just skate there like honestly pretty often probably like once a day just to get a break from like zoom conferencing technology and just like video calls like i kind of just need to like get some air touch some grass once in a while so i'd say that was like a pretty big one for me just like skating around my neighborhood maybe i meet up with people maybe i wouldn't like if i could um the second one would honestly be like watching netflix like i'm sure like everyone like you can probably like relate to this one too like just picking up shows that everyone watched in the quarantine, like Money Heist. Like, I think, like, half the world. I don't know, it just felt like a lot of people watched it. <laughs> and, like, stuff like that. Yeah, like, shows, like, maybe short documentaries. I'm really into, like, true crime stuff, which is, like, kind of kind of niche, not gonna lie. Like, I tell people, and they're like, oh, I'm like, yeah, that's me. But I'd say, like, those two are the main ones that I could do and carried on uh, throughout the quarantine. True crime. Okay, you said some people see that and they're like, oh, that's niche. I'm, I'm going to be one of those people <laughs> right now. Why, why, why true crime? What about it makes you go, ah, yes, this is, this is what I want to watch tonight? Uh, it's honestly a good question. I think I 
got into true crime from like thrillers if that makes sense like i like i don't like horror movies per se but like i would watch like i don't know i need like something that was like somewhat scary like whether it's like jump scares or just like the plot and if they i just like found over time that like i like the specific genre that was just like alluding to true crime i think specifically it was this one show called mind hunter which is very similar to hannibal i believe and then there's another show that's also very similar to it i guess there actually is a market for this i guess that's what that's what i learned right now but it pretty much like dives into the psychology of like serial killers and like or just like criminals in general but like mainly like serial killers i feel like that's like the that's like the bread and butter of like this like true crime <laughs> documentary niche um yeah but it, i always found that really interesting like the psychology of like studying the psychology of people and like why they do what they do and then for like serial killers it's like weird right it's like they don't necessarily like think like normal people and it's like very interesting to like immerse yourself or at least like investigate alongside other people in these like true crime documentaries or even like these tv shows that are like more like sensationalized if that makes sense sensational i like that word sensational <laughs> and, and i think you, you bring up a good point there the thing that brings you draws you in or it seems that draws you into true crime is that you get to explore these incredibly interesting people and these situations that happened in the past with arguably even more interesting people who have the the wit and you know the background to examine this or this person this mind with a certain level of expertise that maybe you know a lot of us aren't privy to and it only becomes more engrossing when someone who's doing it is already an established expert in the field. I always li like to bring this up, but uh, when I was in high school, I got to study Aristotle's rhetoric, not the most exciting read in the world. But one of the biggest points that he made was that it is your, your standing and how much expertise you have in a certain area that is one of the three pillars that will really make you pop in whatever you're trying to discuss, argue, debate, promote. Everything that has to do with, you know, public speaking and, you know, public literature. If you know what you're talking about, people will listen to you. And with true crime, these people, you know, they're forensic scientists, they're they're these analytical people they've seen they've researched they've studied all of these past cases and then they see a new case like maybe something that you're watching in a documentary and they, they share that expertise with you speaking of hobbies would you say that having skateboarding and netflix helped you get through what has probably been arguably one of the most if not the most mentally challenging uh, period for a lot of young people yeah easily i'd say yeah i'm honestly happy about that because like i'd say like skateboarding and watching netflix like they're not the most like unique or like they're not like the most interesting hobbies to be honest like they're i'd say they're quite common and like i guess for me it's less about like what i was doing but more about like what it gave me and I guess, like, for skateboarding, it just, like, felt good to, like, 
skate really fast. It felt really good to like feel like the wind like blow through my hair as I was like bombing this like hill that I should not be bombing because I'm only supposed to be skating on the sidewalk. But the sidewalk is really bumpy, so I just hit the road anyways. Like, I guess like stuff like that, like experiences like those, like they make you feel alive. And that was something that I was really missing um, in the in the quarantine, or I guess just at that point in general. So like I I loved like skating by myself or just like doing all these activities by myself because it really took me out of what I was doing every single day. And then as per like watching Netflix, <laughs> everyone watches Netflix, but I guess like for me specifically, true crime and like bringing up like thriller again, um, I like really like watching those things because it really does, like you said earlier, give me like a deep perspective on things that I wouldn't be able to explore before. So that could be like the psychological profiles of serial killers, or it could just be like one horror movie or like thriller movie that's like only two hours long, but I'll watch it on a Friday night by myself, get really into it. And, I, and it's like, when I'm really into it, it's like, I'm not like checking my phone or anything. Like I'm like really into it, right? And these like thriller movies, like horror movies. And like, that'll just put me into like a fantasy world. There's like a, fantasy is kind of a bad, bad word for it. But it's like put me in like a different world <laughs> for like a few hours. And I, and I really appreciate those experiences as well. Yeah, different world. That hits close to me actually. So I'm a big violinist at least in my spare time I really love my instrument and you know when I'm feeling a little stressed the most personally liberating experiences I have when I'm in this mountain of stress is just taking out my violin and letting a melody rip and I think it's like you said not fantasy but you know transporting yourself to you know a a different place mentally where you're not you're not feeling the urge to check your phone or oh did i did i miss an email did i did i forget to do this did i forget to do that i think having those moments having those hobbies that let you take a moment to just separate yourself from the work and then just yourself has become so critical today Especially now, because it's the line between work and personal life has become so incredibly blurred. Because your personal life is in your room, but then your work is also in your room. Because now your work is your laptop screen or your monitor. What are you going to do, chuck your monitor out the window? I mean, I, I hope not. And I think that um, you know, a lot of businesses are starting to realize that too. Ear- earlier on, you mentioned photography. Before the the pandemic hit, you would go to Toronto and take these shots. I had the pleasure of going to downtown Toronto with my friend one time, and that was honestly a mind-blowing experience. We went to all the big cultural hubs, the Chinatown, Little Italy, and I was like, wow, this place is really bustling. It's packed so much culture. What do you personally believe is you know, the best thing about photography. Right. I think that's, so I was going to touch on that too, as well, for the photography aspect. But I think for me, what's so cool about photography and videography is being able to capture moments, being able to capture stories, right? Like you can do that with like your phone as well, I guess, or just like more simply like people do that every day. Maybe like people like blog their day or like they use TikTok and they'll just like do stuff like that. But I think specifically for like more higher production 
photography and videography, it's really cool. It's like added creative elements to that. Being able to like, so I guess like, um, I'm not like into videography yet, but it is something that I want to get into. I could talk more about the photography aspect of it. Um, going downtown, right, to these like cultural hubs, like for me, Chinatown is huge. And I would just do like street photography. So I'd like sit, it'd be like rainy or something, or it'd be like a rainy day. And I was like, sit down, like right beside this Asian supermarket and watch people walk by. And then when I had a smaller camera set up, I would just like snap street photos. And I would like see people like going on and like doing whatever they're doing in their day. Everyone has a different story and you're kind of unpacking that as like a street photographer. So I think that was really interesting. And then like that was, I guess that's an example of street photography, but then like for events, right? It's pretty much the same thing. Like if you were shooting an event, like a wedding, you're capturing a couple's like most important day, quote unquote, right? Like that's a very special moment for them. And as a photographer, it's your job to make sure they're gonna like remember the day, but also like have it on paper in photos on their laptop. And I think that's, I don't know, it's definitely an art that's important and valuable, oh, yeah. I'd say. It, I think it's something that people take for granted, really, at the end of the day, you know. For me, it's audio. I, I, I really enjoy investing, uh, I, I guess, monetary resources into having good audio equipment. For you, it's photography. It also seems to be a bit more expensive, but, you know, I, I think that is, yeah, that is something that is a lost art that there, obviously it's a, there's quite a bit of a, a cost associated to it, but when you get your hands on this powerful equipment that, you know, people in the actual industry are using, uh, you're able to create content and, you know, visual assets imagery, videos that people will look at and they think that is professional. That looks professional. That I think is something that people might start paying more attention to. And, you know, as technology is starting to rapidly advance and, you know, get more and more powerful, we have like our phones are essentially full-fledged cameras now. I mean, the most recent iPhones have, I think, three lenses on them. I, I feel like we're going to get to the point where everyone is going to have the ability to create something special. And when that day comes, I think it's going to be truly amazing. And uh, I also think that whoever can create that pro those products are going to be very well off. Joseph, it was really nice to be able to start, you know, the palette off with a bit of a lighter discussion. We touched on some interesting topics. But before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you something on a bit of the lighter side. What are you most excited about going into your freshman year as a business student? Yeah, that's a great question. I think like the one, like the number one thing I'm like the most excited about is taking advantage of the clubs or just opportunities in general outside of academics that Queens Commerce has to offer. I think that's something I wouldn't say unique to Queen's Commerce because other schools have like clubs too and like other competitions, conferences, activities that their students can take advantage of. But I want to say the way that Queen's has it set up in terms of ComSoc being like the largest 
um, like student body of clubs in Canada. The way Comstock has it set up, but also the community surrounding the clubs at Queens, I think that is truly unique and special. So I heard a lot about it, talked to a lot of people about it. I'm excited to like finally to like have the opportunity to like put my hands and feet straight into it in first year. And touching upon that a little bit too, like I'm really excited to just work with others, like my peers that are the same age as me in in these clubs or in these group projects or just like anything else because I truly believe that Queen's Commerce has like a diverse student body in terms of experiences. Like that was another huge pro for me, like coming to Queen's. Just like I truly think that everyone in this program is special, like for one way or another, and that's why they're admitted. And I don't think that Western Ivy AO kids can say that, or like Rodman kids can say that. So I'm excited to like really see that firsthand as well. Well, we are a little bit biased. I I wish you the best of luck, you know, navigating this first year. You get to experience in-person learning and I'm looking forward to seeing what you do with your time at Queens and, you know, what, what your peers do as well. You were just listening to episode one of The Palette, brought to you by the Queens Business Review. If you liked what you heard or if the concept of this podcast interests you, do follow our podcast on whichever platform you're listening from. As of right now, you can listen to The Palette on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. The Queen's Business Review is an undergraduate student-run publication that covers a wide range of topics from business strategy, finance, politics, economics, tech, and marketing. If you're interested in reading student perspectives on interesting topics and issues concerning these things, feel free to browse through some of our published articles at www.queensbusinessreview.com. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Noah Lee, and I will see you in the next episode. Cheers.